Good morning, church. Good morning. Are you well this morning? Are you well this morning? All right. Great. Great to see you today. You look good in your, not just your Sunday best, but your Easter best, uh, uh, bow ties and hats and Sunday Easter dresses. That's fantastic. You all look good. You sound good. Uh, thank you for encouraging me and the, uh, with your voices and the gift of, of song. What a blessing that is. And it is very, very good to gather with you this morning in the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I trust that your Easter week, your Holy Week has been a good one for you, uh, that it has been um, uh, enjoyable in every way. I know that even in the small ways around my home, even having the kids uh, home from school and no sports this week uh, has just been a great time for us as a family. And then, of course, as we uh, layer on top of that, the reality of what this week represents, uh, I just trust and pray that you have been incredibly, incredibly blessed. I so appreciate what Jim shared at the beginning uh, that uh, this is a celebration. Uh, we are here to celebrate, and so I pray and hope that you've come in a spirit of celebration as we uh, enjoy and remember the risen Lord. And so who is ready to celebrate with me today as we go to the Lord to hear from His Word? Who's ready to celebrate what God has done? Okay, a few of you are, and a few claps. I appreciate that. Uh, very, very good. So take your Bible, please, and meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians, New Testament, uh, chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there are some available to you in the uh, seats in front of you. Uh, you are welcome to those. And if you don't have a Bible at all, uh, you are welcome to take one of those as your own. That would be our joy to gift you, uh, gift that to you. So uh, those are for your, uh, for your usage and enjoyment. Over the past few weeks, we've been in a uh, very brief four-part series on the topic of resurrection a series uh, taken from, from this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, as part of, uh, which is part of Paul's letter, the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Week one was about the gospel, which is of first importance because the gospel reveals the heart of God and knowing God is the most important thing in life. Week two was about why the resurrection matters. It is the foundation of Christian faith and the fulcrum uh, on which our lives rise or fall. Week three, just last week, was about how the resurrection restores the image of God in us because those who trust in Christ are given a life like His. And so today, on this Easter Sunday morning, we come to the conclusion of this series. Now, many times in life, it's helpful to begin with the end in mind. 
the destination, the desired destination, affects how we approach the journey. When I was a kid, I loved uh, activity books. You know, those books that are just full of crossword puzzles and word searches and, and word scrambles and things like that. And, and inevitably, there was always a maze or two in these books. And I learned from a very young age, which I'm sure you've figured out too, that, that solving a maze is always easier when you start from the finish and work backwards. There's just something about starting from the finish and moving toward the start. It helps you to spot the dead ends and the roads that lead to nowhere. In a sense, that's what Paul's doing in this chapter. And in our passage this morning, he's presenting the eventual result of the resurrection. Then moving backward to explain how it affects our lives today. If I had to summarize this morning's message in, in one sentence, it'd be something like this. Because God gives us the ultimate victory, let's live for what ultimately matters. I'd like to read this with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 50, and continuing through the end of the chapter, verse 58. It says, I tell you this, brothers, brothers, and sisters, I, I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, brothers and sisters, therefore be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for the time we have this morning. In your word, I just want to thank you for all that this day represents, for the life, for the gift of life, and for the life we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we come to your word this morning, that you just enable us, help us to hear your voice. 
We believe that you are a communicating God. You are a speaking God. You are a God who reveals, who wants to reveal and disclose uh, yourself to us. And so we come this morning with expectant hearts. Um, with, we're anticipating a word from you. And so we pray, God, that you just unstop our ears and help us to hear your voice. Would you make ready our hearts and help us to receive all the truth you have for us? And then I would just pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill this room and that you would even, as it were, that you would walk every aisle and down every row and touch every person. For you know each one of us intimately, inside and out. You know our joys and our fears and our doubts. You know our victories and our failures. You know that we come not as perfect people, but flawed and in need of grace. So come and minister your grace upon us again today. In the name of Jesus, amen. In Jesus, God gives us the ultimate victory. That's the final result that Paul has in view. And then he works backward to explain why he came to this conclusion. In verses 50 through 57, I see four truths, four building blocks, if you will, that stack upon the other. Four things I want to consider with you this morning uh, that serve to guide our lives toward ultimate triumph. And the first is this. In our fallen state, we are incapable of life after death. That is, life with God. When it says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, it's talking about heaven and what happens after we die. And there are just two options when it comes to our eternal destiny. Either we go to be with God in his heavenly kingdom or we remain separated from God and lost in sin. Because we are fallen people who are born into sin with a sin nature, our bodies, earthly as they are, cannot receive a heavenly inheritance. They do not last forever. We are finite we are mortal. We, are, uh, we all die and will be judged accordingly. Maybe you've heard the story of the preacher who, who stood before his congregation and said, someday every member of this church will die. And the people sat in, in somber silence until one man burst out in laughter, exclaiming, well then, it's a good thing I'm not a member of this church. But you see, death plays no favorites. We try to avoid it. We don't like talking about it. It brings many difficult questions. Like a stab in the heart, the finality cuts to our core. It always leaves us wanting. But despite our best efforts, the mortality rate remains precisely at 100%. It seems like death always wins. 
and in our fallen state, we are incapable of life after death. That is life with God. And for this reason, number two, mortality must put on immortality. Verses 51 through 53 say, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, mystery there doesn't mean we can't figure it out. It means that which was presently hidden or unknown to us has now been, or what was previously hidden or unknown to us has now been revealed. And so I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed for this perishable body must put on, put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now notice first how it refers to death as sleep. Because for the Christian, sleep is a metaphor for death. Just as one falls asleep at the end of a long day, tired and weary, depleted, only to rise the following morning, rejuvenated, so also the Christian comes to the end of his or her life only to pass into new life. Death is not the end for the Christian, but the beginning of something brand new and infinitely better. How? How can this be? And it's only because a necessary change has taken place. Here in these verses, Paul is saying that Jesus Christ is coming again, and when he does, those who have died with faith in Jesus will be up and out of their graves. Can you imagine that? In fact, some will never die. He's referring to that generation of people who will be alive when Jesus returns. His second coming will be marked by the blast of a trumpet signaling the arrival of the king of all kings and all who've entrusted their mortal, uh, their mortal selves to him during their stay on earth will be clothed in immortality and then be ushered into eternal life. I want you to notice how instantaneous this change is. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. In other words, you hear the sound of the trumpet and by the time you look up and blink, it's done. Christian sanctification is a lifelong process, but Christian glorification is instantaneous. In one nanosecond, we see him and we are, we will see him and we will be fitted in his glory because mortality must put on immortality. Number three. When we put on immortality, death itself will die. 
when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Are you with me, church? This is what Easter is all about. Though our bodies are perishable, when Christ returns, we'll be raised imperishable, and death at that time will sting no longer for those who are in Christ. In our present state, death stings, doesn't it? We feel the sting of loss, the sting of fear. When the doctor announces a terminal disease, we feel the sting of loss when our loved ones pass before us, and even gradual losses as we see them lose certain faculties along the way. We feel the sting of separation when they're gone and it hurts. It hurts because instinctively we know that it's not, this isn't how it's supposed to be. That death just doesn't belong. It doesn't fit into the plan. It's like an unwelcome intruder. And so how, do we, how, how did we get here? How do we get to this point? And what is it about death that stings? Well, it says here in verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. This means the law is what gives sin its leverage. Every time we disobey God and break one of the commandments, for example, sin says, aha, guilty. And you know it. There's no disputing it. When measured against the standard of God's law, you are justly condemned and under the sentence of death. And sin takes every opportunity to remind you of that fact. So, sin enters the world in Genesis 3 as humanity turns from God and death enters the world in the very same chapter. And then it spreads immediately in Genesis 4. Cain murders Abel. In Genesis 5, uh, Adam's descendants are listed one generation to the next. And eight times we find this phrase, and he died. So Adam lived, and he died. Seth lived, and he died. Enosh lived. And he died. Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Methuselah, Lamech, they all lived and they all died. One after the other, from one generation to the next, sin brought death and, and death claimed victim, victim after victim after victim. And so it has been through the ages because all have sinned. All humanity has turned from God, haven't we? In many ways, at many times. None of us are innocent, and we know it. Deep down, we know it. No one has perfectly obeyed God's law. We're all guilty, which is why we feel the sting of death. But rather than leave us in this state... 
God has intervened and is already reversing the effects of death until one day death itself will die and sting no longer. Things will be restored to the way it was intended from the beginning. The Bible promises that one day God Himself Can you picture this? God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. And no more death. One day, upon Christ's return, it will be asked, O death, where's your victory now? O death, where is your sting? When death has died, who's going to have the victory then? And where is death's sting? Where is it? Where will we find it? But upon the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the sting of death is sin, Jesus bore our sins on the cross. Because the power of sin is the law, Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law on our behalf and died in our place. Sure, we still feel death's sting today. Sin and its effects are still present in our lives and in our world. But hear this, we do not bear the sting any longer because Jesus has already done that. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The Bible assures that by his wounds you are healed. Jesus died like no one before or since. As the sinless sin bearer, many in the crowd, many that gathered around the cross, they mocked him, remember. They made fun of him. They said that if he was the Son of God, he'd come down and save himself. But Jesus didn't save himself because he came to save sinners like us instead. In a showdown for the ages, Jesus stared death in the eye and death blinked. For when he rose from the grave on that first resurrection morning, he dealt death the fatal blow. And when he returns to earth again, D-Day will become V-Day when Christ returns and, and the mortal put on immortality, death itself will die. Which means, number four, victory over sin and death is a gift from God. Verse 57 proclaims, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I asked you earlier who's ready to celebrate today. I want you to picture those victory celebrations. 
we who have sinned against God and are under the sentence of death instead receive from God life and victory through Jesus. By God's grace, through faith in Jesus, we receive full pardon from sin's penalty. Through Him, we triumph over what once enslaved us. Through Christ, whatever victories death has achieved in our lives are already being undone by God. Are you with me? That's the message that still reverberates from the empty tomb. Listen, Easter reveals God's love for us. It reveals God's provision for us. It reveals our need of a Savior and God's gift of the Savior. It declares that sin and death do not have final say, that what God did in raising His Son, He will uh, uh, replicate, He will repeat on a grand scale. Still echoing from the empty tomb is the declaration that God grants everlasting life through Jesus Christ to any and all who place their trust in Him. No wonder Paul was overcome with thankfulness. But it's not just, I want you to notice this. Oh, so important, this little word that we cannot miss. Uh, it's not just about what God has, has done or what God will do when Jesus returns because God, notice, He still gives us the victory even now. He's giving it to us even now, present tense. He, he gives us this victory over and over and over again so that we can live triumphantly in Christ today, right now, and tomorrow, and the day after. This victory is coming to us from God all the time, day after day after day. We simply have to live in it because victory is a gift from God that you can receive right now. Now, most of you, most of you, have already heard this message probably many times before. You know the Easter message very, very well. And so I just want to ask, is it making a difference in your life? What in your life will change because of what God has spoken to you this morning. What will you do? I mean this church. I love Easter and all that it represents, but what will you do with the resurrection for the next 364 days until Easter 2020? What difference will the resurrection make when you face relational difficulties this year? 
when an aging parent requires more than you can give. When your son or daughter veers off course. When your marriage grows stagnant or your desire to be married isn't met. How will the resurrection affect you? How will the resurrection affect you? When the doctor tells you what you don't want to hear. When your checking accounts at zero and then the car unexpectedly breaks down. When you don't get the job you hoped for, when a particular sin plagues you and you just feel weak and powerless against it, what, will, what change will the resurrection bring to your life when depression hangs over you and the cloud won't lift? When you can't see the path ahead of you. When it seems like life is living you instead of the other way around. When you lay in bed tonight and you're unsure how to face tomorrow. What does the resurrection mean in these instances? And in others like them? In other words, what's the connection between the empty tomb and our everyday lives. That's where verse 58 comes in. Verse 58. It's, it's not only the concluding statement of this passage, but it's really the, 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 the pinnacle of the entire chapter. This verse, verse 58, is, is encouragement from God to be received each day. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, to be steadfast means to be stable, to be uh, consistent, uh, not subject to change or variation. It means to be reliable, to be dependable. Uh, we're told in Scripture that the steadfast love, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It means that, that, that God's love is something we can rely on and trust in and in the same way we're to we're, we're called to be steadfast like that uh, whether facing the highest high or the lowest low the resurrection is a stabilizing force in our lives i want you to hear that what does it mean to be immovable it means to be firmly established uh, uh, rooted and grounded. It means to hold your ground, to not give ground. This word, uh, important, we notice this, this word implies the presence of opposition, doesn't it? It implies uh, uh, external pressures that are coming upon us. 
And rather than yielding to them, stand firm. You see, the resurrection has an anchoring effect on our lives so we can be confident when the wind and waves threaten. And then it says to abound in the work of the Lord. This means, my paraphrase, this just means throw yourself into what God is doing. What's he doing in your life? And what's he doing in the lives of those around you? What's he doing in the lives of people around the world? You see, God is at work, and he's at work in you. In Christ, he has begun something very, very special in you, and he has promised to complete it. He is working in you by way of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, and he also, doesn't he, he sends others into our lives to help you just as he sends us into theirs amazingly God allows us to participate in what he is doing he actually involves us in such a way that we become key players in his redemptive plan it's it is truly amazing rather than sitting the bench or merely merely observing from the stands, we are key contributors on the field of play. The, The resurrection is a motivating force then because we get to share in Christ's victory while also sharing it with others. That's why your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Hear me, church. Because Jesus has won the day, and because God gives us the victory, your everyday life matters and is making a difference. Do you believe it? Your work as a mom or dad or grandparent is making a difference in this world as a husband and wife. Your work as a student, a carpenter, a teacher, an administrator, an upholder of law and justice, a physician or caretaker, a salesperson, a store clerk, a barista or food server, an event coordinator, a manager, an insurance adjuster, a maintenance worker, a repair person, an advocate for the poor, an advisor or counselor, and the list goes on because you can make a difference in people's lives for God and God's kingdom in whatever you do. Hear this, because anything done unto the Lord is the work of the Lord. That's God's work for you. This means that we have to tear down. We have to work. We have to be intentional to tear down this divide that exists between the sacred and the secular. You need to know that your everyday life is as sacred in God's eyes as anyone else's. That when you go to that job site, you go to that classroom, you go to to tend to your family, whatever it is, God is there and therefore that is a holy place and your work matters. As I was preparing this message this week, 
in a time of prayer, I think it was on Thursday, I asked God, by this time in my preparation, I had a general idea of, of what the passage meant and how I was going to arrange it. And so I just sat and I asked God what else he would like to say to us this morning. And I sat. And I sat. And then I sensed God respond. And I quickly wrote, it, wrote down the thoughts as they came. I think he said something like this. First of all, first of all, tell them I love them. Tell them I care about them more than they realize. About their everyday lives, about the hard times they've already endured and are enduring today and will endure in days to come. Tell them I am with them. Tell them I am for them. Tell them they are so dear to my heart. Let them know that it's not for naught, that I am calling them into something much more, much more meaningful, much more purposeful, much more satisfying, but tell them it won't be easy. Things of this nature, things worthwhile and, and rewarding like this, they're, they're never easy. It's much easier to settle for status quo than to press on toward greatness. Then tell them they won't regret it. However hard it may be at times and, and whatever sacrifices are made along the way will only serve to deepen their faith in Christ and their joy in His victory. Tell them it's hard now. Yes, I get it. I understand it. But I promise, I promise it will seem light and momentary when compared to the eternal weight of glory I am preparing for them even today. And as I listened in those moments, honestly, I was not expecting God to speak to me about me. I was asking him, remember, God, what would you like to say? Is there anything more you'd like to say to the church, to the congregation? I didn't expect him to say to me, but he did. Because I need to hear this too. In fact, just this week, earlier this week, the very week that I am preparing to speak on the resurrection and the difference it makes, I questioned whether I am making any real difference, any meaningful contributions to the work of the Lord when it comes to my role as husband and father and member of my extended family, my role as pastor and friend and neighbor. Is anything, am I making any meaningful contribution? 
and verse 58 answers that question with a resounding yes. This means that even the mundane stuff of life, the routine stuff, the seemingly unimportant and unexciting stuff, it matters. It all matters. None is wasted. In Christ, every part of life has meaning. Uh, God has made it so that wherever you are and in whatever you do, you can participate in what He is doing. You can encourage and be encouraged. You can pray and be prayed for. You can model the difference that Jesus makes and you can learn from, other, from others who serve as Christ-like examples for you. So, beloved, let the resurrection, let the resurrection enable steadfastness when you don't see immediate results. Let it empower immovability when you feel like giving up. Let it invigorate your participation in what God is doing in and through you. And then I just want to speak to those hearing uh, this message this morning who may not know the Lord. May I ask you, what are you working for? And is it satisfying in the deepest sense of that word? Is it worth it? Does it make any real difference and will it last? And when your life in this world uh, comes to its end, uh, will your work endure once you're gone? And compare that with our work in the Lord, work that is never in vain because it's of an eternal nature with everlasting effects. You see, faith in Christ not only changes your life, but also the lasting effects of your life. God gives us the ultimate victory. So why not live for what ultimately matters? I have just a few final thoughts, and then I want to guide us through a time of response. The greatest proof of the resurrection is the difference the living Christ makes in your life and in mine. I'll say it again. The greatest proof of the resurrection is the difference the living Christ is making in your life and in mine. That's what Paul's getting at here in verse 58 when he begins with the word therefore. But I just want to ask as we move into this time of response, I want to ask what is your personal therefore? And so um, you'll find a card. Maybe you were given this card as you came in. Uh, but, but this is where this card comes into play. And if you did not receive one of these, you can raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. Okay, we have a couple over here. 
I want to explain this card. Don't write anything yet. I just want to explain this card and then, and then we'll move into a time of response. This card has two portions to it, the upper and lower portion. And the upper portion is, is just this question. I want you to think about this question. What in my life needs to change in order to be steadfast, immovable, and abounding in the work of the Lord? We've provided some space for you there. You can also take room. There's room on the back if you need it. But this is just between this upper portion. This is just between you and God. Just you and the Lord. It's an opportunity for you to identify whatever God has brought to your attention this morning. What in your life needs to change as a result of the resurrected Christ? And how... Will you go about making that change with God's help? That's the upper portion. And then the lower portion, this is a tear-off portion. And as you can see there, it has three options. The first is for those who have never come to faith in Christ. And this is by checking that box, you're saying, I want to give, I've decided to give my life to Jesus. As an act of faith, I'm entrusting myself to the, to the care of Christ. I'm I'm desiring to follow Jesus as Lord of my life. The middle option is for those of you who have come to faith in Christ. But in your heart of hearts, you've wandered. And so your decision this morning is to recommit your life to Jesus. And then the third option are for those also who are walking with Christ. But But God has has touched you in some way this morning and and you recognize that there's a change needed in your life and you're marking that box as saying yes I walk with Jesus but I've decided to make a change and then there's space for your name and email address if if you'd like to leave that information at the end of the service I'll ask you to tear off that lower portion and put it on the response table that we have in the back as you exit the room. This is a way for you to to publicly declare what you've written privately to you and the Lord. It's a way for you to put action uh, to your decision. And then this week, we will um, gather and collect those cards and pray over every one, I guarantee you. We will pray over every one. So I'd like to just go into this time of response now for a couple of minutes, just you and God. So I don't know what method is best for you. Sometimes I like to put things like this in my Bible. to be reminded of it. Sometimes I forget it's there and then I turn to that page and it brings me back. Maybe you you have a journal. Maybe it's something you want to put on your bathroom mirror or in your car or whatever it's going to be that would encourage you. Just between you and the Lord. I want to pray now. 
kind of a prayer of dedication, if you can just silently to yourselves, if you can just kind of join with me in that prayer as a way of saying, God, these things that we've written, these things that I have written, I mean them. And I dedicate them to you. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the way that you are speaking to us even now, the way that you're leading us and prompting our response. We, we know that you were the first mover here this morning, that it was you who first came to us, and now we're simply responding to you. Responding to your love, responding to your grace, responding to your kindness to us. And these things that we've, the, that we've written on these cards, God, on one hand, it's just a card, and they're just thoughts. And yet on the other, they, they are expressions of our hearts. And so, Lord, would you take these expressions, these these uh, stated desires, and would you help us to make this the, the change needed so that the, the, the reality of resurrection life would affect our everyday lives so that we could go from this Easter to next living in the power of the resurrection every day along the way. Do that, God, we pray, because we want to walk with you. We want to know more of you. We want to enter into this life that you have given to us, this victory. And so hear us now. receive these things with as we offer them with great gratitude and praise in the name of Jesus Christ in his great and mighty name amen